uh, let's look at the scriptures and pray first. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for your word. Every chance we get to look at it, we'd ask that you bless our minds and our hearts in your son's name. Amen. It was pointed out to me, and mistakes were made, obviously. You're looking at the top of the sheet, and it says, verse 1, and you're saying to yourself, of what? And I apologize. In my haste, I forgot to type in the reference. Now we've gotten over that little bit of awkwardness. Then I asked, why didn't you recognize verse 1? Huh? We say, well, how could someone recognize every passage? Well, it's the same verse at the end of last Sunday's sermon. Verse 1 is right at the end of last Sunday's sermon notes. Right there. So you are, what is it, you stand condemned. It's out of 1 Peter. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, of course, I thought of preaching out of Proverbs 31, Mom's Day, find something new to say about it. Basically, women should work hard. We admire them when they work hard. But I had I, started in, in 1 Peter 1 last week, and it was just a real overarching temptation to keep going, especially since I haven't preached in the rest of 1 Peter, I think the earliest three years ago. And it says such wonderful things. And even right there in the first verse, a couple verses that we talked about last week at the end of the sermon, so put away all malice and guile and insincerity and envy and all slander. Like newborn babes, see it ties in to mom's day. Kind of. That's it. That's the biggest tie-in you're going to get. Like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation, for you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now, I bolded a couple things there. Not the same things I bolded last week. Long for the pure. It's a spiritual milk we're after. For the long for the purity of this kind of thing. It's an admonition, if not an imperative. You're supposed to do that. And the reason you're supposed to do that, and the reason it might move away from being an imperative and move to an admonition, you know the distinction? Is because you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. You know what it tastes like. You know what this goodness is. And so really you only have to be reminded Jesus Christ is laid out in front of you. The Christian life is revisited Sunday after Sunday, conversation after conversation with various believers. And you've tasted that. When you haven't tasted it, and the admonition becomes, sounds, starts sounding like somebody telling you you have to have a quiet time. You know? Oh, I've got to read the Bible. We were talking to some Christian friends last night, and uh, there was a, they were talking to somebody, we were talking about a, a, a witnessing opportunity, and someone who views the idea of believing in God as kind of the worst thing that ever happened. You know, oh, what if, what if the Christian God is real? You know, the buzzkill of all buzzkills, just really not much joy and he's stopped to think as a Christian no I've tasted this I, I'm part of this religion I know what this religion does and is I've tasted the kindness of the Lord so I long for the pure spiritual milk 
Now that notion, which came out of the verse 1 of chapter 2, was so put away. It was, it was following on after what we talked about last week. But the, you might say, this admonition, this remembrance of what it is to have come to Christ, reminds St. Peter that that is a wonderful thing. And for the next, oh, about six verses, seven verses, from four down through ten, he is going to uh, sort of wax uh, eloquent about our life in Christ. Come to him. Verse 4. To that living stone, rejected by men, but in God's sight, chosen and precious. And like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, therefore, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, and a stone that will make men stumble, a rock that will make them fall. For they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Like I said, he is waxing eloquent about what we have. And everybody's going, yeah, preach it, Peter. But we're supposed to come to Christ. That's the initial thing. Come to him. But it's a come to him, not as a come to Christ who we have made the most respectable and popular religious teacher in history. Come to him, rejected by men, but in God's sight, precious. There's something about this passage for the whole chapter that has to do with the preciousness of Christ and the Christian life that is the energy of a life that is lived in rejection by all things, that has to put up with offering a degree of what we consider capitulation, whippedness, humility in this world. And frankly, we don't like it. But this, this message here at the beginning of the passage is to let you know that what you've found in Christ is religion at its, at its platonic actuality. You, know, you, you have found the thing that is not the shadow. The temple in Jerusalem, any church service of today is just a shadow. This is just what we're casting on the wall of the life you have in Christ because you have been made like our God into a living stone. He's the cornerstone. We've been made into living stones. We are, we're not just the stones, we're the priesthood. We're running around inside the halls of ourselves offering the religion that God wants offered. Offering sacrifices acceptable but if I, if I have a, if I have an acceptable physical religion that we, we've grown to like over the centuries, we, whether you're an ancient Jew or whether you're an ancient Baal worshiper or a, a, a Christian coming through the Middle Ages, whatever you want to think of it as, this is not what you've gotten. There is something in Christ that makes you the religion, that makes you the building, makes you the priesthood. 
And making sacrifices very distinct from what religious shadow observations do. We don't have, but in certain points in Christian history, I suppose it's been more so, but the first century church was having to deal with a world that had never heard of Christianity before. You know, this is a brand new religion, a brand new God, and uh, they didn't like him. But the Christians in the first century didn't have Christian religious templates to fall back on. We were talking about it the other night about uh, Christian architecture. Christian architecture. <laughs> you know. Why do you have a why does a church feel a certain why is this? I mean this is very vaguely this, but you have essentially the slightly basilica shape with apses on the side in a, in a transept, a rough transept, very rough. And there's a chancel, and usually there's a, a, a suggestion of an apse here in the little dent out, which is a Roman basilica shape, which is a justice hall, not a church. But we've done it so long, that's what we think of as religious. And we would much rather take up a collection raise money, and I didn't, I like having this building, thank you very much, but we spend far more time raising bucks to build another basilica, which I approve of architecturally, but not theologically. I approve of you being built into a spiritual house and I really don't have any problem if, I mean, if somebody said, Evan, could you wear robes this Sunday? And I say, okay, all right. Put some robes on. Funny little hat. Clerical collar. Could we have some of our kids swing some incense? Okay, fine. As long as you don't think it has anything to do with Christianity, we're cool. Because what has to do with Christianity is you are a royal priesthood. A holy priesthood offering sacrifices acceptable, spiritual sacrifices. You are the house of God. I was always stopped when a Southern Baptist being raised and, and I, you know, running around church like I shouldn't. And some deacon who had a thin black tie would stop me in the hall, son, don't you know this is the house of God? I didn't think so, not just because my father had told me it wasn't, but uh, I didn't think so, so sort of naturally. Because it is something else that we are. This is what we're supposed to come to. And this is what the labor of Christ, we are come to him, and it quotes Isaiah 28, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. If you are not building Christianity, if you are not building your religion out of you, spiritually, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and not the teaching of the Apostolic Fathers, and not the Roman Basilica shape, and not the institution of whatever kind of forms of Christianity or Christendom we want to make, but Jesus Christ... He is the thing that will not put you to shame should you build your life on it. And if that is true, if you've built this on Jesus Christ, if you've come to Jesus and you've realized that it really defaults to you, doesn't default, the reason we don't do a lot of things in this church is because one, we're lazy, two, we don't have any staff, and three, we don't believe in it. We want to wait for you to live out Christ in your life. Offer by whatever gifts God gave you the chance to put a water filter on our sink so the coffee's a little bit better. And people who cook, cook. And people who chat with you, chat with you. 
We want you to be living stones in a spiritual house that has little to do with uh, little to do with um, religion. You therefore who believe, to you therefore who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. One thing you have to remember that for all of this that is being done, this is the end. We don't have to discuss whether Jesus will win if only we get enough people to join Christianity. It doesn't matter if he is absolutely, completely rejected by everybody on the planet. And you, and you only, are his one believer. He wins. The, the stone the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, whether they rejected him or not. The stone that will make men stumble, no matter what they think of you on campus, no matter what they think of you at work, if you are being built into the, you know, the church-going prig, yeah, well, let's all make fun of you. It's a very easy joke. But if Jesus Christ, you've come to Christ, and you've been made into a living stone, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, you might be the only one at work that lives that way. You might be the only one at the University of Idaho that thinks about Christianity this way. But it doesn't matter how much they mock it, because you've found the precious thing. You found the precious thing, and they are destined to stumble. Lecter quotes that they stumble because they disobey the word, verse 8, as they were destined to do. Now, I know some of you are probably reformed. God help you. And Jesus loves you. And some of you are not. But when words like that, people are destined to do something, do your own thing with it, whatever your own thing is. But don't step aside to a theological discussion when it's letting you know that they were going to this. What destiny means is that's where they're going. However the mechanism, whatever the mechanism you think is the destining mechanism, they're going there. Where they're going is Stumbletown. That's what their lives end up like. I'm in the ministry. I'm a professional. I know this stuff. People show up and tell me stories that are incredible. I go over to get my father up in the morning, and he tells me stories of people he's talking to that are incredible. And he's still amazed at 88. Someone could still walk into his living room and sit down and tell him the worst train wreck in human history. And he hasn't heard anything that bad. That's what people do. It's sort of like the inventiveness of man. We look at it as inventing, you know, electric toothbrushes and iPhones. Wow, the inventiveness. I look at it, sin. They're really good at it. That's, that's sort of oxymoronic, isn't it? They're really good at sin. They are destined when they do not accept the stone. If, remember, if you don't take on Christianity this way, even if you're still playing Christianity, because the whole idea, one of the greatest lies you can fall for, is I'm not going to come to Jesus, I'm not going to be in it as a living stone, but I'm going to build something that kind of looks like Christianity, and I'm going to raise my family in it. It's just a different kind of, uh, you might say, narrative that you are writing, and the stumbling is going to surprise the heck out of you. You're going to end up falling all over your own feet because you didn't find what was precious. You didn't find that you, verse 9, were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Now this is sounding, I know, radical Anabaptist sort of talk where the actual people are the thing. There is no institution that can be Christian. It can just be an arrangement of who sets the times and who pays the water bill. That has to be done. So you have to have institutions, but an institution can't get saved. Only you can be saved, because only you send. 
This is the wonderful thing of this finding yourself a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Everything that had been admired, you might say self-admired in the Jews. The Levites admired themselves for being priests. The Jews admired themselves for being chosen. But each one of us who has come to Christ, if we've come to him, the living stone, we have been made that chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's own people. Why? Just because God likes changing where the deck chairs are on, on the cruise ship? And so this time around it gets to be the Gentiles? God has a point that didn't come to pass until the Christ. He had kept all the Jews in custodialship. The law was there to superintend their own private problems with sin, and it kept them organized as a, a law-abiding, mostly not, but law was there to hold them in place until the Christ came. But when the Christ came, the encounter with Christ is the encounter with a living stone that you have to make yourself a part of the same kind of being and thing and function that Jesus Christ is. And consequently, you have been made into the actual, not the shadow. The chosen nation, that was a shadow. The priesthood of the Levites, that was a shadow. The sacrifices in the temple, that was a shadow. Because what was happening in your Christ, your high priest, Jesus Christ, the, the cornerstone of your temple, is a man. He said, I don't know how that works. How does he be a stone and how could he be a man? It's because you're living in the shadows repeatedly and it was only an image for you to carry over. This was the real thing. This is what Christianity ought to be. For in bold here, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is that how you phrase it? Is that what you do? Oh, we like to, you know, I like apologetics, I like philosophy, I like being in a really good argument. Love it. Some of us like talking about Christian influence on political things. But the center of our faith is this cornerstone that anybody who's not pointed to him is destined to stumble. Destined. Pointed at it, planning on it. And those of us that are not, that are being built into a holy nation and a royal priesthood, are being that way to declare the wonderful deeds of him who called us out of darkness into, in case you didn't need it to be modified, marvelous light. Is that how you think of your salvation? This is marvelous light. It was darkness, now it's marvelous light. And I am thinking of my God and the things he has done. And I know that I function as an actual religion. In human history, this has not happened. An actual religion bound together by an actual God to where there is no temple necessary, there is no church building necessary. It can totally function with you, the only one on the planet. <coughs> Who believes it? It can function with 10,000 of you on the planet who believe it, who have been coming after Jesus Christ. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You don't want to stumble. You don't want to be the kind of person that is heading to a train wreck of a personal life because remember this is a destiny someplace you're headed if you don't deal with this Jesus the way he wants to be dealt with even if you are theologically completely correct say you come up to me after the service with a little notepad you say Evan what are the beliefs you hold to be absolutely true I'd like to jot them down and practice believing them between now and next Sunday I would be strangely complimented and I, would, I, I might tell you what the list is. Say there's eight. 
key things. You go, okay, I'm going off, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to reject anything else, I'm going to believe all this. The catechism. You're still, still writing a life that is a stumbling life. It's still going to be a train wreck. Because your mind has to, back in verse 7, to you therefore who believe, he is precious. That is talking about an opinion you hold of Jesus Christ. You are God's people and you've received mercy. That's why you think of it as marvelous light. Not just, we're right, they're wrong. I've been in a number of conversations recently about, you know, sort of ultimate apologetics about the existence of God. And it's fun because you get to shoot fish in a pond. You know, it's, it's easy. But that's not the actual thing that they need straightened out. They need to see Jesus Christ for who he is. They need to see how marvelous is this light. Not just that it is right, but that it's light and that it's marvelous. And you are being made into something when people look at Christianity and they see it from the outside, they see the church building and they see all the people with their pants hiked up to their armpits and they're walking around getting homeschooled, you know. All the silly things Christians do. And really, we're not a fashion plate, even though you like my jacket. You say to yourself, that's pretty sharp, Evan. Well, it's new. We're not generally some people that are going to, oh, what the trendiest church in town is also. Yeah, yeah, so much. Some of you are. Some of you work for clothing manufacturers or sellers. Caleb does. And Hannah back there. But other than that, the rest of you are a total waste. We don't, we're not about whether or not our building's the coolest, our programs are the coolest, or our coffee is getting better, or we've received mercy. We have seen religion as religion is, like no other religion on the planet ever has been. It is in Jesus Christ. Now, I have said this for a reason, because it says, I'm halfway down the page. What's going to happen now? Now at this point, and this is why I was thinking of this whole chapter, because it steps into what you'd think, oh, here are some practical helps by St. Peter about things like the Christian and politics and the Christians and slavery, etc., etc. You would want to teach a separate Bible study, a separate message on this next section. Now I wanted to leave these two things together. Because in verse 11 he says, Beloved, I beseech you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Maintain a good conduct among the Gentiles so that in case they speak against you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So the idea is, having come to Jesus, ready to offer living sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices, operating as a holy priesthood and the building in which the priesthood functions is all to get us declaring the marvelous works of God and to live a life that shows the effect of a true and finally true religion abstaining from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul he said that I think earlier in the book didn't he back in chapter 1 do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Well, just as a piece of advice, before we get on to the actual particulars here, if you have not gone after Christ, if you did not obey verse 4, the admonition there to come to him, to see him a certain way, to see religion a certain way. If you haven't, something else has. There aren't many options 
for inertial force in your life. Jesus Christ is one of them. And if you did not go to Jesus Christ, what, pray tell, is leading your life? Because some of you might be running your lives entirely based on what your urge is this morning. You ever meet that person who gets up, I'm not very good in the morning without my coffee. You're not very good in the morning without your coffee. Well, I belong to an ancient Near Eastern religion, uh, well known, but not practiced often, where you get up in the morning, good. And a certain dose of caffeine is not necessary to make you able to pretend you are good. Well, it's, 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 I, I drink caffeine by the ton. We are a church that devotes itself to a special committee to create better coffee for the church. I mean, was, what kind of hypocrisy is this? Well, we want to know that we're not living by that passion or any passion, be it the babes, and thank you for being decorative, or the coffee, or the urge for popularity, whatever your passion is, they, they war against your soul because they're offering to be an inertial force for you. Why do you do something you do? Because you want to. And if I don't lay aside, I'm not going to maintain a good conduct among the Gentiles because they're living by their passions too. So the Christians are just supposed to have less passions. No. Abstain from the passions that wage war against your soul. In order the Gentiles may see your good deeds, and having said bad things about Christians, because that's a, a popular target in the first century, and it's still a popular target to false Christians. You see it in the news. You could say things about Christians you could never say about a Muslim. You could call them all sorts of names. But what have you done to disabuse them of that? Have you had them over for dinner? Have they seen how you've talked to your wife? Loved your children? Been gracious? They may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Then he says some practical things. And at this point... Uh, we might want to get sidetracked into these practical points. The first one, verse 13 through 17, is about a Christian's relationship to the state. And 18 through um, 20 is a, a Christian in employment or, or slave situations. <coughs> Christians hate this. Let's say American Christians hate this section. This is, you know how, I, I don't want to, give anything away, but in Ephesians 5 there's a passage about wives being submissive to their husbands and so many people in the modern age spend their every free moment playing the game, getting around St. Paul 101. That's how do I get around what it says here. Others, you know, and that's more liberal feminist type of thinking, but then the conservatives they land on a passage like, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And the libertarians among us were the people that, we had a big fight about jury nullification yesterday. I don't care what it is, but some people do. And, and, and phrases like this, where it's calling on us to be whipped, citizens, living under some almost totalitarian, imperial, pagan government like Rome. You're supposed to do what the emperor says because he is supreme. That's what it says. And also by the people he sends to do his will in the provinces. Oh, man. What do you mean? And it's probably in your mind going, well, what if he... If you're already saying in your mind, what if he... You're the person 
who that I'm going to encourage, not that you think more about your political science as a Christian, because I don't want you to agree with me because I can beat you in an argument on this point. Because we can look at Romans 13, we can look at all the teaching in the New Bible about governments, and it's not going to side with the post-Enlightenment Republicans. It's not. It's a different view. But I don't want to convince you of that view. I want you to go back and read verses 1 through 10. If you do not meet Jesus Christ this way, if you don't realize that it is not a matter of you succeeding politically in life or our group or our Christian interest being encouraged, what if they decide to tax all souls Christian into uh, uh, oblivion? Okay, too bad for us. Lose the building. Still no Jesus Christ. Still, we're living stones. <laughs> they, can, they can even kill us. And then Jesus says, you know, don't fear. He can kill the body. And afterwards can do nothing. But fear him rather, once he is killed, can cast both body and soul into hell. Have you come to Christ? Have you lived Christianity as if you were the only one in it. And then you're so, you rejoice so much when you meet the other believers. Whatever their theological background, you love them because they've met the same Jesus Christ. And consequently, by the time you're done meeting with your Lord, becoming the kind of building he wants you to be, and beginning to realize it is not a physical a physical empire Jesus is trying to create, you don't get so grasping about your political rights. Now, I think it is better for a country to grant freedom to its citizens. A well-armed militia, you bet. I like those things. But those are just opinions about the way to run a country. I think maybe some people might like a gold standard. Some people might like... Uh, more local taxation decisions at a state level. Fine, design's what you want to design. But have your religion be in Christ a certain way so that when it becomes totalitarian and awful, when you're beginning to look at the system, the, what's out there on the, uh, the lineup for November, and you go, I, I don't know what to do. It's going to be bad no matter what. Say, I know my Lord Jesus Christ. We're a holy nation. A chosen people. A royal priesthood. That's what I'm involved with. And I don't concern myself with words like submission. The next section, verse 18. Servants, be submissive. It's actually the word is slaves. And we fought a war over that bit of nonsense, right? And here's the Christian church going, ah, don't worry about it. Slaves, be submissive. Be whipped. But is it because we're effeminate men who can only, you know, in some sort of monastic piety offer ourselves up as St. Francis the Sissy and say, oh, because we're, we're weak and... Jesus wants us to be little ball lambs who can be beat up easily. And fearful women, for those that, you know. So you have a bunch of weak men. If anybody teaches Christianity as if it was creating a motif to live by, that even if you weren't under a totalitarian regime, you acted like you were under totalitarian control. Because whipped men... They just become whipped by their wives. Not that any women would ever do anything like that. But I've heard on TV. That's what you do. You're, you're, you're more interested in being whipped than having the kind of faith that does not care what the state is up to. They're up to doing God's business in a different way than you want. Submit to them. 
even your masters, with all respect, not only to the kind and the gentle, but also to the overbearing. Why? For one is approved. If mindful of God, he endures pain while suffering unjustly. People wonder why I never was in favor of the American Revolution. Well, because you, I don't care what the king was doing. You suffer it. Well, it was unjust. Well, if you take it patiently, you have God's approval. I would consider rebellion not taking it patiently. Shooting people, not taking it patiently. Fighting back, making a, creating a rebellion. I am Spartacus. Bunch of slaves rebelling against Rome. Oh, it was only right. That's what you feel because you're an American. I want you to meet Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ changes how you approach things because he has met that world. He has conquered in that world. He has given you a, a religion in which to live where it doesn't matter because Jesus Christ has become head of the corner. They are destined to stumble. I don't care what civic, you know, state religion they have, system of government, power over you economically. They are walking their life to falling on their face. And I'm not submitting because my God told me to submit. I'm submitting because it's who I know in him. Mindful of God, you're approved. Not if you fall down because you're weak, but because you're mindful of God. For you do right and suffer for it, and you take it patiently, you have God's approval. Now, I know other Christians have different beliefs. Some of you may have some different beliefs. Uh, that's fine. But I want you to meet, if I, if I ran across an, an uppity child, say some, some, say, some family that came here, had some little 12-year-old that was, you know, sideways in every way. didn't speak with the proper respect. I don't want to tell the kid that he ought to speak with the proper respect. I want him to meet Jesus Christ. And say you found some wife that was, well, my wife had an encounter at the bank where a woman, because her, the teller shared with Leslie very nicely, that because her husband wouldn't let her get new countertops for her kitchen, she was going to paint the kitchen and she was going to pick a color he hated. Way to make a, a wonderful marriage. Going to paint the kitchen purple because he hates purple. Because he won't let me have the countertops. What if you had that kind of woman? Well, I, I don't really feel I could walk into her life and say, you know, good people submit their to their husbands. I'd say, you know, you need to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to find the humility, the wonder, the marvelous light that is in Jesus Christ. Then, then, look at the passages where you're Jesus Christ who wonderfully saved you, who gave you mercy, made you a royal priesthood, made you the religion of all religions, and you're going to go, nah, I still want to be American. I still want to fight back. And you want to serve this Jesus Christ. I make that point in um, um, C.S. Lewis's That Hideous Strength, where Jane, who is having trouble with her husband, is not told what she must do to act. We're not, you don't want to find out what it is to act like a good Christian. You want to become a Christian. If you meet Jesus Christ... Verse 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, I unfairly centered that, broke the line so that each phrase would land on us all as a ton of bricks. You've been called to this. This is not a, a position that one theology holds. You've been called to this. This is where Christ is. 
Because he suffered for you, leaving us an example, it was, it, what he did on the cross was saying to you, look like me. See how I'm doing this? Leaving you an example? That you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, so you commit no sin. No guile was found on his lips, so you're not trying to mess with things and trick the world and, and mess with him in some sort of way. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But, but I want to be an American most of all. I want to slug this guy. I want to get back at them. Yeah, we're fine. Pick another religion. There are a lot of religions that let you get back. I, I hear Islam is big on getting back at you. If, if you want a religion, gets back at people. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Not vengeance is yours. And it's not because you're weak, because Christ was not weak. He committed no sin. When he suffered, he did not threaten. It's not because they won. It's because this is the path to us winning. Because our, our Christ, our God, has won on the cross. I stand in him in a different kind of religion. It's a religion that is able to view the world and its efforts and its plans with your humility. They can grab what they want. He trusted to him who judges justly. He's not saying, oh, really, nobody should be hurt in this world. Everybody gets to choose the truth that they get to follow. And who am I to say? We're supposed to be taught. And it's not tolerance. This is not tolerance. This is, they're dumb. They're doing their life dumb. They're hurting me with their dumbness. And I'm going to take it. Because I'm not in charge of trying to make a utopia here on earth that Christians get to write the rules for. My job is to declare how I'm called out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm supposed to impress them with my good life. And then I trust God to judge them. And they will be judged justly. It's not because judgment is bad, because I'm not supposed to be doing it. God's supposed to be doing it. Brethren, never avenge yourselves. For vengeance is not right, saith the Lord. No, because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God judges every man according to what he has done. Everyone, all things. And that's my God. But if I step into Jesus Christ, I realize that I'm living in not a, a circumstance where my institution gets a certain amount of political power, a certain amount of economic power, and we start to throw our weight around because we're, we can't resist power. I want you to find out what the Christian religion is that is not developing another power set that is going to fight over the, the leavings of the world. Because it doesn't really matter. They could kill the Christ, and they could kill all the apostles. They could kill the early Christians, and they could stand in the Colosseum singing hymns because they had come to him. They know what is precious. We're not being made into weak people. We're made, being made into a real religion that is stronger We know the value of wounds. That's basically it. We know how powerful wounds are. And we know that we could never fight back in such a way. If I have to make a church strong enough to fight back, say the city council wants to seize our property, if I have to make a church big enough, I start to lower the standards. I start to get people who want to hurt people. You ever feel that in politics? The desire to get into power just so you can destroy your enemies? That's why we do things like that. 
Christianity's not about that. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's what that was for. So what are you about? He's left us an example. He gave us an act that was bringing mercy to your life that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You understand that the guide of our religion, the God of our religion, took humility, which in in his circumstance, the most abject humility, because God himself in his transcendence becomes man so he could be killed by the religion that he had founded. The insult is incredible. But that was his intention. It didn't get out of control and they killed him and oh my gosh, we have to make a plan B, a a religion out of the accident of our God dying. The God came to die, became a man to die. Though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. That's our religion. You don't like it. Again, there are other religions that are much more proud. There are forms of Christianity that you can find, without much hard looking, that are much more proud. By his wounds you have been healed. This all happened that you could be set free from sin. So that you wouldn't be a toad. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This whole thing of Christ is you've laid down your claim to running your life. You have found yourself being made into living stones and a priesthood that serves this God this way. And when you realize the joy, the preciousness, the marvelous light of it, you don't find yourself waltzing into Romans 13 or the middle part of this chapter going, I don't like this, I've got to get around this somehow. You go, you start to smile and you say, I start to understand my God. I can have different opinions about what is good politic, what is good for a nation, what is good finance in a business. I have opinions about that. But that's different than me having a religious reaction. I'll vote the way I think is the best kind of government. I urge you to as well. I don't know if that loses us our tax exemption, having encouraged you to vote. But don't make it a Christian deal. We're not waiting for God to take control of the political systems of the world. He's been victorious. And we are in him. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Keep us close to your son. The example he gave, the wounds he took, the complete trust he has in you and your judgment that no one gets out of here alive. Everyone stands before you and has to give an answer. Lord, we want to be the kind of religion your son designed. Thank you in your son's name. Amen.